Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. Each month, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews a different author who helps us explore what we call people-centered leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leader others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I learned and how I'll be putting these ideas into action. Now enjoy this month's installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Henry Cloud. He's an acclaimed leadership expert, psychologist, and best-selling author. He draws on his extensive experience in business, leadership consulting, and clinical psychology to impart practical and effective advice for improving leadership skills and business performance. Dr. Cloud is a New York Times best-selling author, more than 45 books that have sold more than 11 million copies. From his books, Integrity, to Necessary Endings, to one of my favorite books, Boundaries for Leaders, so much great insight, practical knowledge and advice that you can understand and implement right away. Today we're going to dive into his latest book, The Power of the Other, which debuted in May. It's in the top five of the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Uh, Success Magazine, uh, last year named Dr. Cloud one of the top 25 most influential leaders in personal growth and development. When he's not writing books, he's running his leadership consulting practice. Dr. Cloud works with Fortune 500 companies and smaller private businesses alike. He has an extensive executive coaching background and experience as a leadership consultant, devoting the majority of the time working with CEOs, leadership teams, and executives to improve performance, leadership skills, and culture. Welcome to the Leader Chat Podcast, Dr. Cloud. Good to be with you. So, you know, you you are all over my bookshelf, and I know you're all, all, uh, all over a lot of other people's bookshelves. You've been a prolific writer. What is the driving force, and, and, and really, how do you come up with these ideas? You, you keep, you know, you know, just changing the game each time and, and bringing out something new that, that, uh, that, that leaders and L&D professionals alike can really implement right away. You know, it's interesting. People ask me that, and I go, I don't know. I don't sit on a rock and just say, gosh, I wonder, you know, try to get inspired. (laughs) Um, My path in this is, you know, I'm a practitioner. I'm not a speaker or a writer in the way that I look at it. I I spend over 100 days a year um, in the war rooms with CEOs and their teams, and, and, and to me, the work writes the books because what happens is, you know, over the course of time, I will find myself seeing this one issue, you know, over and over and over. And I find myself keep saying, why, why, what can I recommend that these people read or something? And that, uh, a great example of that was, was necessary endings. I, I just, I just kept finding that, that, you know, CEOs as powerful and as, as productive and as accomplished as they are, a lot of times really, really would get stuck on pulling the pulling the trigger, you know, to end something or to fire somebody or shut something down because there's so many people issues involved and so much conflict. So an issue like that will just continue to, uh, you know, sort of show itself. And then 
then I dive deep into it and research it, and that's kind of where it comes from. The uh, the the yeah that little aspect of the book where you talked about where you were pushed really to get out and 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 create these books, and you had to go out and get a coach and and uh, or a oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah and, and that's you know. I guess it, it's interesting. It's always good to know when people that are out there and they're in the realm of self-help or self-development or, or helping, you, you need help as well, don't you? Well, yeah. It, it, you know, a couple of things that, that really – the first time I ever realized that, I grew up as a competitive golfer, and Jack Nicklaus was, was my hero as a kid. And I remember one time um, reading this article, and, you know, Nicklaus had just played the U.S. Open or the Masters or something, and – and the article said he flew back to Ohio to work with his coach, Jack Grout. And I remember like almost dropping the magazine. I was probably, you know, in the ninth grade or something. I go, Nicholas has a coach? What? Why would he need? <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, you go to Michael Phelps, go to all these high performers. And, and I see this in the CEO world. The best ones, one of the things that is common to all of them is they have coaches. They open themselves up, and that's really what the power of the other is about. It's about the dynamics of what what has to be in a relationship that moves us to the next level. And, And when we're leading other people and helping other people, whether it's direct reports or teammates or whatever, how do we need to order that relationship so that it ups their performance? And I just learned it early, and and I, I feel so blessed. You know, one of what, the chapter you're talking about in, in the power of the other, I was writing about internalization, and how we we actually internalize new capacities, you know, from people. And I tell the story that you mentioned of when I wrote my first book. Um, I was, you know, I was in my twenties, and I was was building these models for, for companies and organizations and, and, you know, teaching them in offsites and saying the other. And one big global entity said, where is this written down? And I said, uh, I don't know, on the flip chart right there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they said, we need you to write a book so we can use it worldwide. And I said, I, I, a book, I don't know how to write a book. I remember like throwing up over having to write a dissertation and, and I tried, you know, it's just so, how do you write a book? I had no clue. So I was a consultant to them, right? So what they do yeah. is they say, okay, we're going to hire a consultant that's going to help you write, <laughs> write this stuff down. And that consultant coached me and took me through a very structured process. And so what I said in, in the, the, the power of the other was that was my, that was 40 something books ago. And I still, that consultant still helps me write every book, but I've never talked to him again. (laughs) How does he do that? Because he's been internalized and the system and structures that he built into me in that first book have served me well for 40 something years. And that's the power of the other, that we get things and internalize them. There are very specific mechanisms that make that work. You yeah, so we, we let's dive into this book. Let's dive into to what you found through your research, and and a lot of it is based in the neurosciences. You know, how do you feel that that the power of the other is is changing the conversation in in terms of development and in terms of uh, how people can really apply these these principles? Well, you know, changing the conversation is an interesting 
phrase because that's that's actually what I wanted to do. Here, here's what I find, both in the research and the science, but really in our experience as well, that whenever leaders or high performers or anybody in the performance world is trying to get better, whether you're trying to grow your business or grow sales or grow your leadership capacities or a culture or a team, we all do it in the most predictable way. What do we think we got to do? Which is actually all of this is true. We got to learn new information. We got to improve our skills. We got to make changes to our behavior. We got to change our thinking. We got to learn new strategies. All of those competency building things are absolutely essential. But here's the reality. None of those, and we know this from neuroscience, we know it from research, we know it from experience. None of those things can be improved apart from relationship because for a number of reasons there is a the way the brain works is in order for us to to develop the new circuitry in our brains it's that that behavior and competency is going to run on it's like a motherboard in a computer mm. it requires as part of that a relational connection for a number of reasons for those competencies to be built so I wanted to change the conversation a little bit to in this way. I wanted people to start strategically thinking about the relational component of their improvement and the improvement of others as much as they think about the content aspects of that improvement. Because the reality is seminars and workshops and books do not change people, but are absolutely necessary to change people. They're just insufficient. And so that's what the book's about. What do these relationships need to look like? What do they provide? How do we do it? What helps? What diminishes? And I wanted to kind of sort of give an operating system of of how we enter into relationships that, that build capacity. One of the areas that really resonated for me for this book, uh, one of my uh, one of my stated values is around connections, and and uh, and it sometimes you know it, it doesn't come up in a lot of people's um, when you when you hear them share what their values are, but it's important for me because that's where my fuel comes from. That's where when I'm working with my clients, when I'm when I'm connecting with great friendships and, and different uh, working work settings, it's about the power of that connection. And so you re, you de- dig so deep into how. And I, 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 it's safe to say, I mean, people's careers and their lives can be made or broken based upon the power of the connections they have. Absolutely. And, and you know, lest it sound like psychobabble, you ask any, any, any high-performing CEO about their best season and their worst season in business, and there will be another person on the other end of that or persons on the end of that that it is rare that you find you find a business leader that is feels like they're clueless and doesn't know the business part of what they're doing. But what's making it work or not work or what's keeping them up at night or not up at night or building, thriving or getting in the way is these people connections. And mm-hmm. and we can actually measure that in people's brains and and you can take a a high-performing team, and if you hooked them up to brain scans and, and did blood work and all of that, the better they are performing, the more certain 
neurotransmitters are running through their brain that actually fuel that thinking and fuel that performance and innovation and creativity and problem solving and adaptation and perseverance and all of the functions that we know the brain does to increase performance. There's neurotransmitters that drive all of that, like jet fuel. Well, in a disconnected or a negatively connected or a toxic connection environment, you have exactly the opposite. You have sewage water, basically, running through the brain. You're trying to run a Ferrari on oatmeal, and <laughs> you just can't do it. And, and the book talks about the science of that, but also the I also put some stories in there. Um, you know, one, the story the book opens with is is one of my favorites. It's about it's about my my brother in law who was a Navy SEAL. Love that, love that story. Yeah, yes. he, we lost Mark um, in Iraq in the war um, in two thousand and eight. But you know, Mark was just uh, he was the brother I never had. I grew up with sisters, and you know, big sisters. They used to beat me up. I'd, I always wish I had a great brother. <laughs> <laughs> Never got one till I got Mark, and boy did I win the lottery. And you know th these seals are—if you've ever known one—and they tell you stories what they do. It's insane. It's just unbelievable. But the training they go through, and I, I know you know the Blanchard Group is down there off the coast of San Diego, and, and you guys probably know a lot about this, as a lot of the locals do. But they they have this thing called Hell Week. Yeah. And it's yeah. where they take the final 200 or so that have been whittled down from the thousands and thousands of the best to the best of the best. And they put them through a week of actual hell. And only 20 will finish the week out of 200. And these are the best specimens in the world. And they drive them. You know, they, they, they're out there in hypothermia situations, swimming miles and miles and miles and dragging barges and climbing hills and combat situations and all this. And they literally... I think they they get three minutes of sleep, like every other night or something like that, and they're just you know and and yeah. most of them have to ring the bell and say I, I I'm done. Well, the story of, of this was the week that Mark was killed. The Navy SEALs, you know, that were a lot of them that were close to him came and descended upon the family and kind of went through that with us. And one of them that I called Bryce told a story about when he was finishing the last swim and he got to the last 50 yards, he would become a SEAL. Hmm. And Mark was his training buddy, and they had a deep connection. And Mark had finished, and he was up on the beach, and he was, he was finished his last swim. And he said his body wouldn't go any further. And he's trying to will it. He's trying to move his arms, his legs. And he's starting to sink, and he's about to drown. And he's got to give a, a signal, I'm done. And he's literally not going to become a SEAL. Sees his life flash before his eyes. He said he looked up on the beach as he's going down, and Mark's on the beach, and their eyes connected, and Mark gave him a fist pump and said, go! And he said, I don't know how to describe it, but my body got out of the water and made it to the shore. Now, what was that? Yeah. That, that immaterial, non-physical, human connection between two people literally changed the performance of his body and the physiology of his body and his mind. And what we know now from neuroscience is that is a very, very, very measurable process. And that's why the, that's why you see these highest performers, they work on teamwork and connectedness as much as they work on the business. You know, or learning how to kill people. 
they whatever your business is, you have to have the technical skills. But this connectedness drives it. I love that story. I, I appreciate you sharing that, and 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 obviously. Uh, condolences to the family. It's uh, it's a you know to have that in your in your family and see the strength of that and how um, and that what a what a what a beautiful gift to have that story um, shared with you uh, when when you were in the, the the time of mourning. I I, I it dovetails right into a question I was going to have and, and whether it's Navy SEALs or whether it's uh, business leaders in an organization I have to pose the question. I mean, is everybody cut out? Because not everybody's cut out to be a Navy SEAL. Is everybody cut out to excel and be a, a tremendous leader? Is it inside of us? Because we, we have different personality types and different communication styles, we're introverts and we're extroverts. Can we harness all of this power of other can, and, and all these connections um, despite our internal wiring? You know, it's, a, it, it's kind of the question, right? You, you, it's from the time they started studying leadership that I would say, well, is leadership born or, or yeah. learned, right? And that it yes, the answer is yes. You know that that we are born with certain abilities and and you know intelligence ranges and physiology and and gift mix and it's in the stuff. You, you can go to a, a a nursery with the newborns. Have you ever gone, gone to a hospital and the, you know they stack all the babies up in there, right? And you can go look in the window. <laughs> And some of them, you see the wiring, like like so, some of them are sitting there and they're they're just happy with the world, like they find it, you know, it's like ba 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 ba, and then right next to them, you see the the little future attorneys. They're like <laughs> looking for somebody to have a fight, right? And so we, we come in with different wiring, but also what we know, and this is where the power of the other comes in, is that that these capacities are also shaped and internalized through experience and learning. And and to your question, I think one of the most important aspects of that is this, that sometimes we, if you ask, is everyone, can everyone be a leader? The absolute truth to that is yes, because leadership is about causing movement to get people from here to there. That's what leadership is. Okay. Now we confuse leadership with authority. So we say, well, you don't want everybody being, everybody's not a CEO. Of course not. Everybody's not a manager. Of course not. But if you look at the, if you look at the dynamics of, of the ingredients of, of, you know, what I talk about in the book of, of the connectedness and the push and the challenge and the observation and the, the getting people in the flow and, and, you know, feedback and the way we give feedback, respond to feedback and, and on and on and on, all these things. When a mom or dad is trying to get the kids in the van to leave for school by eight o'clock, that's leadership because they're trying to get a group of people from here to there. <laughs> yeah. And when a receptionist changes the the and I've seen this happen, I've seen I've seen like like people at the lowest levels of organizations, they come into the place. And they begin to change things. And they do it by the power of who they are as the other. And they, they do it in a thousand different ways, but that office begins to change because they're present. And they have no authority, but they do have the power of the other. And 
and everyone, 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 and we know this, we could we can measure the energy in a room, we can measure the physics of it, we can measure the performance. It, a member of a team who's not the team leader, you take an executive team, for example, everyone in every chair is having an effect on whether we get from here to there or not. And that's leadership. Now, they may not be the boss, but they are, you know that some people lead a discussion by silence. Some people lead a discussion by rolling their eyes. Some people lead a discussion by having the meeting after the meeting. So, yeah, everybody's a leader and they can learn to do it better. So let's get into some of the practical aspects of the book. And, and what I, one of the, 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 the visuals that, that was very impactful for me was when you talked about the four corners of connection. And I think what's really interesting there is I found myself in different corners depending on the environment. Uh, and and that, that there's a practicality of that where I can actually think of how I can improve um, that. So before we get too far into that, uh, let's kind of dig into that. Could share with our listeners each of the four corners and 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 the the different uh, the, you know the different characteristics of where you sit in each of those areas. Yeah, it, it it's one of the simplest little little tools. I don't know how this dawned on me one day, but it's, it, it's been a while. But I found it to be so helpful over the years. And what I like to do is tell people whether it's individuals or a team. Look, I'm going to give you a little map of the universe. Okay, I want you to draw a box. This is the known universe. <laughs> and there's four corners. Corners one, two, three, and four. And mm-hmm. every moment of your existence, you are going to find yourself in one of these four corners. Corner number one, you're either experiencing, or, or in, in corner one, you're experiencing something we call disconnectedness. You're alone. Now you may be, you may have bodies around you. You may be in a meeting. You may be in a marriage. You may be in a team. You may be, where, it doesn't mean there's not people, but it means that you're alone. You're disconnected. Something has happened there where you're not getting fueled. You're not feeling understood. You're not getting what you need and you feel like you're rowing this boat by yourself. And a lot of a lot of leadership actually ends up kind of doing that because, you know, the pressures and the politics and, you know, what you can share and what you can't share. And a lot of times leaders kind of get pushed into an isolated existence, not physically, but, you know, internally. So what happens is from that disconnected place, we don't function well and teams don't function well and, and it just doesn't go good places. So. That's corner one. Corner two is not no connection like corner one. Corner two is a bad connection. And what that means is it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be abusive, but it's, it's the nature of the relationship is somehow I end up feeling bad about myself. I feel like I'm not good enough. I can't ever please them. I can't meet the standard. I'm always failing in their eyes. Now, maybe doing a great job, but there's something about the dynamic in that relationship where I'm in this inferior kind of bad feeling all the time. And, you know, it has nothing to do with being inferior. It has to do with the connection. Like, like if you have a, a, a teammate, you know, or even a boss that knows more than you do about something, I mean, literally, my knowledge base may be inferior to theirs. There's in a in a bad connection. 
even when they're trying to show me that or teach me that or, you know, coach me in that or give me feedback in that, I end up feeling bad. In a good connection, it would be a great place to be to be around people better than you, right? Because it would yeah. be inspiring and you get curious and you learn and they can, can give you good feedback and all that. So it's not about whether or not somebody might be better than us. It's how we feel around them. And that is very, very, very much a driver of performance and a driver of new competencies neurologically and biochemically. So what happens is, you know, we find ourselves in corner two. We're feeling bad in this team. So what do we do? We go back to corner one. We disconnect. We isolate. I don't want to be around that guy. It makes me feel awful, right? Yeah. And we go back and forth. And then finally we go, crap, enough of this. I don't want to feel bad or alone. I'm going to go feel good. So we drift down to corner three. And corner three is the feel-good corner, which is a, I call it a pseudo-connection or a fake, mm. a fake good connection. And that's where we try to go medicate ourselves in some way. We mm. might connect with a substance. We might connect with a hobby. We might connect with food. We might connect with an illicit relationship or, you know, just, just somebody that flatters us and you gravitate towards people that just, you know, blow happy smoke at you all the time and tell you, Wonderfully, yeah. but it's not real. You know, it's like a sugar high. We can't really grow from it. We can't thrive from it. We need it again right after that episode is over, like any addiction. You know, leaders are like this sometimes. They'll they'll be addicted to to something that makes them feel good. Give me the sales numbers, you know, and all they want to hear is good numbers and give me some good, yeah. you know, and they got they drive people to to feeding them with good feelings, but it's really not sustainable. It's not helpful. So that's kind of corner three. And sometimes what people do in corner three is stuff they shouldn't be doing, <laughs> you yeah. know, to medicate themselves. And so then they go back to corner two and feel bad. Oh, so yeah. Those three are just, they're just not helpful. Corner four is the real one. And corner four is where we can truly be who we are with people that are truly being who they are. And there's an authentic connection where each one is interdependent. We can bring our needs to each other. We can say, you know, I'm not doing well here. I'm failing here. I need your help. Well, let me understand it. You know, and that corner four, if you have a corner four team, a corner four marriage, corner four friendships, then you're going to thrive. You're going to get better. Yeah. Now, you said something very interesting, and that is you find yourselves, yourself, and I said selves. That's kind of what we start to feel like. Yeah. You're like, you know, multiple <laughs> personalities, right? Yeah, because yeah. we float from one, two, three, and four kind of throughout the day, and that's why I want people to use this as a little map. And I, I was in an executive team meeting with a publisher, um, one of my publishers, and and we were going over um, a plan for the launch of a book, and they had heard me talk about them, this concept before. And and so people were talking about the strategy and what the marketing department was doing and all this. And and then the one of the people on the executive team in that meeting said, "Okay, guys, look, come on, let's hop in corner four and tell the truth here. Mm. That plan's not going to work. That's that's going to you know we the reality is we tried that and come on. And so just having a simple little tool that turns into language, it's really really helpful. Yeah, it it uh, it 
it, you know, it, it's the four box quadrant. So you think about situational leadership, too, and about, you know, just being able to have the vulnerability to be able to share, hey, I am struggling right now. I don't have the the, the skills, uh, don't have the competence or the commitment to be able to, to do this particular task. And you can be more prescriptive about that. So that's an example right. with the corner four where where you have uh, an, an opportunity to sit back and say, guys, let's let's be real here. What are some other yeah. ways that, to, to kind of harness that? Knowledge? Yeah, that, that, that's one. of the, Well, another way to harness that, that knowledge is to listen to Ken. Right. Because that <laughs> seriously, that's that that's one of the things I think that 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 Ken has brought to the party that no one else was doing when he first started, and, I, and obviously a lot since then, is this this assumption that leaders were, you know, they're either good or bad, right? They're great or they're not. And and one of the things that, that Ken did with the original situational paradigm, I think, was to show, look, there are different contexts where different people are needed and different people thrive, and different skills are needed. And, and it, you know, all of that stuff. And so one of the things he did that I think was really helpful, which he continues to do, is when you get people out of a a good, bad mindset, and, and the new language for this is, you know, get them into a growth mindset where where you you're not either good or bad and you're judged and not judged, but everybody can begin to be real and vulnerable about, I'm good at this, not good at this, I need some help here, can you coach me here? And a situational paradigm gives us the freedom to be vulnerable and say, you know what, something's called for here that I'm really not doing well, I need a different kind of style or I need some coaching or I need some help. And I think Ken's done a great job of that. So how can somebody, if they, if they, we've taught, you've given some great examples, uh, uh, what else in terms of how do I get to corner four? How do I, because as we said, I feel like all of me are in different corners at different, different times, but how do I take them some very clear steps so I can, I can make that, that direct line to corner four? Well, one of the most important things is it, it really helps to have a language for it. And, you know, I've seen, like when I've sat down with teams and say, just look, here's your four corners. And I hand them out three by five cards and say, okay, I want everybody to give a number of where you think this team is right now. And it's so fascinating. I just had an executive team about a billion dollar company where I did this. And four out of, or I think, was it four, five out of six of the people came back with the team they thought were in corner four, and one of the members said corner one. Hmm. And now we got something to talk about, right? And they go, why? Why do you feel that way? And we got into a lot of really operational issues about the work where they felt like, what they needed to do and what their entire wing and department needed to do was running alone and that nobody saw them as, as important and figured them into the conversation and planning and all of that. And it truly was affecting the bottom line, but it came from having a language to begin to talk about it. So I think the first thing is you've got to be in a place where, with people and say, you know what, I want to talk about something. A lot of times I kind of feel this, feel like I'm in my, I'm by myself, or a lot of times I feel like you think I'm, I'm failing and I'm not any good, or a lot of times I think we don't really talk about the real issues. Can we start to get real here? And so I think the first, before you do something, you got to set a vision for it. You know, Kent, 
about this all the time. You got to say, let's talk about how we're relating. You know, what gets in the way? And a marriage can do this and friendship can do that. But that's not enough. Then we have to start to say kind of the vulnerable stuff. And here's what I need from you guys. You know, I need for you to understand kind of our time flow. I need for you to understand, you know, the resources I'm going to need, et cetera, et cetera. And, and need, need is basically the driver there. When you have a team that can really begin to express what they need for one another, from one another, and everybody can understand what do you need from me in order to be successful, and we can just yeah. start to start with need, then we're going to get there. You know, you and I, we talked yesterday or the day before yesterday on the phone, and you told me, okay, we're doing this podcast, and here's what I need from you. Hmm. And I said, okay, here's what I need to make it successful. Now, I don't know how we're doing. We'll let the audience <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's better than if we had not had that conversation and expressed our needs. So that's part of it. Another part of it, though, is to actually look at some of the ingredients that are going to be in corner four. You know, we've we've got to there's got to be an element of freedom. You get control dynamics in corner four. If somebody's taking control of the whole thing, you know, or they're trying to control your thinking yeah. and you don't have freedom in there to express Ideas, but functioning, you know, it's like, get out of my cheese, right? Get out of my yard. You know, don't be a backseat driver. I can't focus on driving when you're grabbing the steering wheel of my car. And freedom is such an important dynamic. And in the book, I talk about how that's, that's lived out, you know, in teams where we, we let somebody have self-control and we don't turn into micromanaging control freaks. But then with that comes accountability with each other of holding each other responsible for that freedom. And in corner four, we really need to do that. You know, I need for you, because I'll, I'll go and talk about this stuff all the I need for you to interrupt me and say, okay, here's, just shut up. <laughs> I ask a question, this, that, and the other. I, I need for you to give me my freedom, but then hold me accountable to not, you know, ruining the whole podcast. And, and from there, how we look at failure and, and communicate that back and forth. And then how do we challenge each other? Because we know from brain science that our performance only increases in a state of arousal. Arousal in part comes from being pushed. You know, if you go to the gym and you see somebody doing bench presses and they got a spotter or a trainer there and going, give me one more, come on, you can do it, come on, one more. No, 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 one more. Okay, one more after that, one more. And that person is thought that they've hit their limit, but they got to be pushed. Okay. But if we push them too far, muscles start to tear. So in our corner four relationships, what are the dynamics of the right kind of push that we have to do with each other? Very, very important. So a lot of factors like that, but that's kind of how well, let's let's talk uh, uh, about something that you said that really piqued my interest when when you talk about having the tough conversations and you've early on set the stage and said this could be in relationships, you know, uh, it could be uh, children, it could be a spouse, a partner, it could be in the in the in in a in a boardroom. How do you when you are in this situation and you know that things are well off track, how do you have that tough conversation? How do you level set? Because you do need two people that are both committed to, to being their best, I would, I would imagine. But how do you kind of pull somebody to the water when they really don't want to drink it? 
Now you've, you you said a couple of different things there, right? <laughs> there, yeah. There, there's yes. a difference in two people that are committed to want to be their their best, yeah. and they've actually set that as a as a vision for themselves. You know, because once you do that, if you sit down in any relationship and you say, "Let's talk about how we want to work together," you know, what do we want to do when one of us is dissatisfied? How do we want to have that conversation? How do you want to know it? You want me to shoot you a text and say, dude, what are you doing? Or do you want to sit down and have me tell you, you know, 50 times, okay, you're not getting fired. You're not getting fired, but here I got to take <laughs> You know, di- different people have different dynamics. And what we need to know is, is and, and this is really important around teams, is before we get into it, are we, are we committed to getting feedback from each other and how are we going to take it? You know, Ed Catmull, the, the, the founder of Pixar, talks about how he created this this environment of innovation and they had rules around feedback. And there were certain rules that they had established and norms of behavior, like, for example, say it with respect, but say it all. And so when you have a rule, you can appeal to that. So, you know, remember how we talked about we need to say it with respect, but say it all. I hope this sounds respectful, but I do have a thought about this that I think is going to kind of be hard to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. See, now now we've got some rules or how spouses have decided they want to talk to each other. We've got some expectations, and we can live around those expectations. So that's one scenario. The other one you said, though, was, so how do you get somebody to drink water doesn't want to drink it, right? And yeah. many times, in the absence of clarity of expectations for each other, then that's harder to do. And we need to kind of talk about that, you know, for example, say, there's something we need to solve here. And my attempts to kind of talk about it, it seems like, it seems like it's difficult to get you to hear those. Now, I don't know if it's in the way I'm doing it. Or what, but can we talk about kind of like how we can talk about it? Because you're not getting anywhere and somebody's resisting and, and, you know, everybody knows the science. It's denial. It's blaming. It's excusing. Well, the problem's never in the room. You know, it's, it's, it's resisting. It's shooting the messenger. You just know you're not getting in. Well, to continue to try to get in and ring the doorbell on feedback when nobody's opening the door, that's just a folly. You know, the, the, the book of Proverbs says, do not confront a mocker lest you incur insults upon yourself. You know, it's not going to help. So what I think you have to do at that point is, is you, you have to say, um, you know, this relationship and our work together is really, really important to me. And, um, I'd like to talk about a way that that I think we can get better, and I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. And and here's a way that that I think is is kind of getting in the way of our best. And when I when I'm trying to address it, I don't or kind of get anywhere, or I don't feel like we're getting anywhere. What are your thoughts on that? And engage them first, and then listen to them. Because they may have a good point. I mean, we may be giving it, giving them the water in a way that, you know, really tastes bad and they can't swallow it. 
And we need to get hear that feedback first. And it's sort of like an FBI hostage negotiator. If you, you know, even if the person's crazy, they're not going to get sane until they feel understood and listened to. Yeah. And so that's why you always see the hostage negotiators not going in with, dude, don't you know what you're doing is against the law? Put down your gun and come out of there. You know, that's not what they do. They start by listening. And and so to begin that process, when you're with somebody resistant, by trying to understand where they're coming from before you say, okay, well, I, I understand that. And one, one of the tricks I always like to do at that point is, so what is a good way that I can – I can give you feedback so it doesn't feel bad because hardly anybody's going to say, well, I'm, I'm not taking feedback, (laughs) you know? And so then you've kind of, at least kind of got them, but ultimately the, where you finally get to on that is, you know, you, you say, so if, if that doesn't work, I'll, I'll be glad to try it that way. If that doesn't work and it breaks down, what do you want me to do then? Well, tell me it's not working. Okay. I'll tell you it's not working. And if it doesn't work after I tell you it's not working, what do you want to do then? And so then what you might have to say is, well, at that point, I, I'm going to have to limit myself to the, being exposed to this issue. And, you know, if you can't meet the deadlines or don't want to meet the deadlines I, and I can't get you to hear how important that is, then I'm going to have to give that responsibility to somebody else because I, I, I can't be a liability for that. So ultimately, a consequence is the next level, and some, and many times actually, that begins to work. But what people do is they just continue to nag and ring a doorbell when nobody's listening. Yeah, you really kind of touched on uh, necessary endings. One of your other books, in terms of having to take that next step. Um, one of the areas that I uh, took away from that as well is you talk about uh, uh, boundaries, and you either are you having life done to you or are you actually out there doing life? Are you actually going to take the necessary steps? And so a big part of what you're talking about um, is a shift for especially people at the highest level of leadership of having vulnerability to have these conversations. So you really have to be vulnerable, well, don't you? you have to be vulnerable, absolutely. Um, but you don't want to be powerless. And there's a yeah. big difference in powerless and vulnerability. You know, if you take a hostage situation, the customers in the bank are vulnerable and powerless, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can't be vulnerable in any problem-solving solve, problem kind of way. They can't open their mouth and start to say, this is really hard for you. They'll get shot. But they're not power. They're, they're in that situation because they're not powerless. So the negotiator, however, they become vulnerable. But they're coming from a powerful position. They've got backup. <laughs> you know, hmm. they're not in the yeah. bank. They're not looking down the down. And, and what, you know, everybody has has kind of known this. We've seen it for years and years. You know, you got to have your, you know, six months of of I hate my boss and I'm walking money in the bank. <laughs> because if, yeah. if, if you're. If your resume, and and I I know everybody can't just quit. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you can be much more of a problem solver when you're in a strong position. And the way you get in a strong position, one of the ways you get in a strong position is 
First, you have served. You have proven your value to that boss or to that team or whatever. You know, if Peyton Manning comes to the to the huddle back when and said, dude, I need this from you. You know, you're not blind. It carries weight because of his performance. What a lot of people want to do is bitch and moan about other people, but they're not performing and they haven't heard the right or earned the right. And they haven't served other people to where the other people have an experience need for them. So the first thing is you got to up your balance sheet. Not only just your financial balance sheet that you could walk, but your skills balance sheet and your performance balance sheet and your servant balance sheet and all of that to the place where somebody's listening. And also, I would say this, and this is probably the most important one, that you've built such a supportive community around you that when if you've got a difficult person and they start to call you names, you don't get devastated walk back like a Navy steel. Of course the enemy shoots at them, but they got their buddy that they're going to go back to the campfire with that knows has their back. And you got to get that kind of, that's what I mean by a powerful stance. You got to be supported. You got to be built up. You got to know that people are on your side. You got to know people that have your back. You can take a lot more from a difficult person if you're not powerless. So a couple more questions. We're almost out of time, but, uh, um, the two two areas that I want to touch on, uh, we've already talked about kind of having, you, know, you talk about goal setting, really level set, let people understand what are the expectations. That's important. You've talked about the importance of of, of having the autonomy, um, but also having the responsibility that comes along with having that. Um, trust is such a huge part of being a corner four it person. It absolutely is, because what I like to say is trust fuels investment. It's just a truism. You know, when do you put your money into a deal? When do you invest in a deal? When you trust not only the people, but you trust that the deal's going to work. When do you leave your money in a bank? Well, when you find a bank that you trust their competencies and balance sheet and that they do have an alarm system. And and one of the things I did in this book was I, I, I tried to, you know, we use the word trust a lot, but but sometimes it's hard to build or maintain trust unless we break that word down into the actual anatomy of trust. Like, like what is trust constructed of? And in the book, I talk about five really, really important components and we don't have time to, to go into all of them. But the first one is that there has got to, it's got to start with somebody's got to feel understood. I'm not going to trust you yeah. if I don't feel like you understand my needs, whether I'm a customer, investor, employee, or, whoever it is, it starts with, with me feeling, remember, I mean, Bill Clinton got elected president like this. He just traveled around the country and said, I feel your pain. You know, and people felt <laughs> understood, right? Secondly, though, yeah. we've got to know the person's motive. If we feel like somebody's for us, that they want us to win, they want us to succeed, then we start to trust. If we feel like they're neutral or against us, then we hold back on trust. Thirdly, we got to feel like that they have the ability to pull off what we're entrusting them to do. It's not just about, well, they understand me and care about me and want me to win. I'm glad my doctor has a caring heart and is for my health, but has he ever cut on anybody before? Does he know how to sew me up or does she know how to, you know, 
fix this thing. <laughs> because what they call a doctor's first patient, you know, is a corpse. That's what they practice on. I don't want to see that. So ability is a big yeah. point. And then their character makeup, that enters in. You know, how patient are they? How long-suffering are they? How understanding are they? How, you know, are they going to tell me the truth? Are they going to be honest with me? Are they going to stand up to me? Can they go through failure? All that kind of personhood stuff there. And then the last one is the track record. And what happened the last time I depended on them? So trust is huge. If we'll focus on those elements in teams and in life, then we will fuel the investment of each other and we'll get there. Reason enough right there uh, to, to pick up the book so you can dig into that. You can also dig into some other areas that we weren't able to touch on today. I I want to kind of give you we're going to have a final word after the final word but your final word on on uh, and you touched on this in the book and I think it's it's a it's an it's an important call out. You said um nice guys don't finish last and and I think there's has been this belief in business that you have to um carry a certain weight and carry a certain uh tone um to make it to the very top. And and you're you're, you're oh, pushing absolutely. back against that. Aren't I mean you? you hear this all the time. You know, whenever you start talking about this the importance of the relational side and the emotional regulation side and emotional intelligence and blah, 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 blah. The first thing you're going to hear, well, what about Steve Jobs? <laughs> you know, or what about so-and-so? He, he, you know, here's a high performer, and we know that, you know, he was relationally difficult and this and the other. And people actually think, they, they say, and here's another phrase you hear. Well, that's how, that's, that's how they got where they are, by being mean and, and dominating everybody. No, absolutely not true. They got where they are by something called aggressive functioning. Aggressive functioning is initiative. It's moving things forward. It's brains. It's talents. It's abilities. It's capacities. And the ability to be a force to cause movement. That's why they got where they are. Now, while they did that, they also bloodied a lot of bodies. And I would just ask yourself this question. Where would Apple be today if he hadn't gotten fired and disappeared for 10 years and they languished all those years? You know, it's it's strengths absolutely make people great. But if we can have our strengths and not shooting our strengths in the foot all the time, we're going to be performing better and the people around us are going to be performing better. So one of the things I, I you know, ended the book with a conclusion of, look, don't be afraid of getting healthy because you're going to be positive and for people. You can be positively for somebody and say, dude, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to fire you. And I don't want to do that, but I would have hoped that you could have been the person in that chair. But here's the deal. The person that sits in that chair Here's what I need from them. And, I, you know, we've worked at this and worked at this. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I just can't. I can't get you to do it. And I tell you why I'm saying I'm going to do you a favor. Because, and, and I, I obviously don't think I'm just doing this for you. I'm doing it for me and this company because we can't miss another deadline or we can't have the environment you're creating or we can't have this level of performance. But I hope that it's helpful for you to kind of get a wake-up call. And I, I hope you hear this 
as a message that we're trying to tell you something you haven't been able to hear and that there's some issues I think you would do really well to address. And I'd be glad to help you do that. But I, I hope you experience this as some kind of learning. You can take it with you in a positive way. I hope that, you know, and I pray for that and I wish you well. And, you know, I really hope you succeed. See, that's not a, that's not a soft position. You can be hard on a position, but soft on the person. Beautiful. Thank you. I, so many great insights, um, much like that. The power of the other, the startling effect other people have you have on you from the boardroom to the bedroom and beyond and what you can do about it, Dr. Henry Cloud. So as we wrap up, what are you excited about right now? Beyond the book, obviously, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's selling really well. A lot of people are, are, are gravitating to the message. What else are you excited about? That Probably the thing right I'm now? most excited about is um, something that I'm calling – Leadership University, and that, that's kind of a, a, a metaphor. It's not for a master's degree or credit. But I found, you know, when I've gone into companies, it is so fascinating. Like, how many times, you know, you got somebody leading a department with a lot of people in it, and there's no unified leadership development track internally. You know, that they might read the flavor of the month, or, you know, one person's into development, so they take their team through stuff, but another person doesn't. And I got really excited about, especially the way that the digital platforms are performing now. I wanted to do a very scalable, look, here's Leadership 101 in a digital format. Mm -hmm. It's modular based and it's very inexpensive because I don't have to be there. You know, anybody can do it. They can take their people through it. Individuals can do it. And so I'll be launching that. Um, first part of of September, if they go to drcloud.com, drcloud.com, um, they can find it as well. Some other digital stuff they're doing. I'm, I'm trying to take this stuff and in, in, in the in the companies where I can't show up, I'm trying to show up on somebody's iPad <laughs> and, and kind of do what I do, but do it virtually. Wonderful. So people, they can find you there. Where else uh, can we uh, can we find you online if we want to connect? Well, DrCloud.com. And um, I'm also on Twitter, Dr. Henry Cloud. And they can find me on Facebook, the same. And they can find me on uh, the Daily Dr. Cloud uh, is on Instagram. And uh, gosh, just just go to info at Dr. Cloud and send us. Yeah. Send us your your email address and we'll, you know, start shooting you a bunch of fun stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for, for joining us today. Well, it's been well, a real pleasure talking to you, too. Dr. Cloud. Um, and I, I know you, you, you said that Ken is listening. And I'm not yep. I'm not just saying this because he's listening, but Ken, I know you're listening. I'm going to say it anyway because I want you to hear it. But I want everybody else to hear it. What Ken Blanchard has given us in the last, how long has he been at this? 40, 50 years? What yeah. he has yeah. done for leadership, for servant leadership, that we will never be able to count family dinners that a 10-year-old was sitting there and they had a mom or dad that was sitting there and listening to that kid as opposed to fretting and detached and anxious because of what had happened at work that day because they had a jerk boss 
because of Ken's influence in the fabric of leadership climates around the world. And, and I say that not only to honor Ken, but I say that to, I want everybody to hear Ken's message. And the message is, you know, here's how I'd sum it up. When you get better as a leader, it's sort of like, sort of like Bill Heibel says, when a leader gets better, everybody wins. And it's not only about your, your P&L. When you get better as a leader, you're affecting the people's lives that work for you. And they go home and they're different at home and they're different in their families. and They're different in their communities. So I think we all should thank him for that. But we all should take it to heart and go do it. Beautiful, beautifully stated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you as well, the viewers or the listeners, rather, of today's podcast for a list of all the guests on the Blanchard Leader Chat podcast. Please visit leaderchat.org forward slash podcast or just go to leaderchat.org and look for the podcast link. You can also follow us on Twitter at our handle at leaderchat. You can also follow me. I dispense my own thoughts on leadership and uh, and share others that I find very interesting. I, I share a lot of your content as well, Dr. Cloud. You can find me at the Chad Gordon, so you can follow me as well if you want to talk about it. The Chad Gordon on Twitter. So thanks again, Dr. Cloud, for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed today. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. As you could tell, listening to Henry Cloud's interview with Chad is that we're part of a mutual admiration society. Uh, I think he's one of the best, and uh, he's so good at, at making complex stuff simple, like I have been trying to do most of my life. And, and, I, and there's three or four things I just want to reiterate that, uh, that I learned or relearned that I think you should remember. The first one is the concept that everyone's a leader, you know, this is not just about whether you have power or status or anything. Uh, I think that everybody has life role leadership positions as, as spouses, as parents, as friends, as neighbors and, and all. And how do you influence people around you? And then you have uh, some of you have organizational leadership positions. But remember, every one of you is a leader. Uh, second thing is that uh, with the whole concept of the four corners of connection, uh, one of the key things with Corner 4 where you can really uh, you know, be who you are and people can be who they are is the whole concept of what I call authentic leadership. And a lot of other people have used that term. But one of the things that Henry mentioned that I want to stress is that as a leader uh, in uh, the Four Corners of Connection, you have to be vulnerable. I wrote a book with Colleen Barrett, who's now president emeritus of Southwest Airlines, and she had a wonderful line. She said, people admire your skills, but they uh, love your vulnerability. And when you act like you don't have all the answers, then people can uh, be honest that they don't have all uh, the answers. Another thing that I think is so important when you're into uh, the whole fourth level or fourth corner of, of uh, connection is to recognize that feedback is the breakfast of champions, you know, that uh, if you care about people, you want to praise them when they're doing well. But if there's some areas that they need to work on, you have to be able to give them feedback. But the key in them receiving the feedback is do they trust you uh, or not? 
and uh, so trust is really important and we've spent a lot of time on on uh, on trust but uh, it's it's key because they realize that you don't mean them any harm you're in their corner uh, but you need to be honest with them too it's it's a uh, it's kind of a tough love is a important part of I think the uh, a corner four and then the last thing I just want to reiterate that he said at the end uh, and we both heard Bill Hybels from Willow Creek talk about this is that when the leader gets better everybody gets better and if you continue to learn and these podcasts that Chad's putting together are uh, organized so you can learn as you learn and get better it's better for everybody around you so what a wonderful opportunity you have to realize that you're a leader that you can make a difference in uh, people's lives whether you have an official position or not so thanks Henry for these wonderful uh, thoughts and go out and be a great leader so other people can grow and develop too